0: Folks, um, Paul and some very other kind people are giving out some notes. It'll probably be helpful if you had one of those sheets for this morning. There's quite a bit of information, and rather than write it all down or try and remember it all, you might want to grab one of the sheets that's coming round um, and make notes on there, uh, and that will help you this morning. We, as Paul said, we started a series a couple of weeks ago. Can put the first slide for We call "Building for the Future." And uh, this is partly linked and connected with a project that we launched two weeks ago, uh, a building project on this church. And this is a, an artist's impression of what uh, the front of the church could look like. And as you'll see up in the cafe, there are some boards with various plans and pictures on. Um, we also have a, web- a part of our website, a page on our website that you can go to. Last week, and in fact two weeks ago when I launched this series, um, I talked about getting ready and how important it was that we were to, how important to get ready, the importance of getting ready, because this is a significant moment in the history and the life of our church. Uh, Last week I talked about how part about building the future was about our future generations, and we had that wonderful baptism service and we heard about young people, but we also talked about what the Bible says about young people, about how Jesus treated and spoke to young people and children, how how, uh, how key and important in the life of, in the life of all Christians and in the life of this church they are. Um, and today we're talking about another key area of discipleship, another thing that the Bible talks about and that is the giving of our money. Today it's called kingdom investment. Kingdom investment. And uh, this is a key area of discipleship for anyone who follows Jesus. Anyone who follows Jesus. One in which I can promise you that if we get this right, we will live longer. Some people think, oh, I don't know about talking about money. It's a bit embarrassing. There are some people who just prefer not to talk about the subject of money in public. Um, Maybe, I'll be honest, I don't particularly like talking about it myself, but the other thing is that there's a stereotype, isn't there, of churches where if you're not used to being a church, you're part of a church, one of the, if, if you're not used to being part of a church, one of the sort of stereotypes about church is, oh, I'll go and get involved in that church, and all they're doing is asking for money. Well, if you've been around here any time, you'll know that that's not the kind of people we are. Um, the truth is that Jesus talked more about money than about any other subject, apart from the kingdom of God. Okay, If you look at the parables that Jesus told, there are 38 of them, and 16 are concerned with how we handle money and possessions. If you look in the Gospels, one out of every ten verses deals with the subject of money. If you were to break down the Bible by subject, there are about 500 verses on prayer. There are less than 500 verses on faith. And there are more than 2,000 verses on money. Money and possessions. So there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle our money if you were wanting to begin some kind of spiritual health check you know where am I at with God well the best place to start would be to look at your giving what am I giving and so there are two types of giving that I us to think about today the first and foremost is the regular giving that we would give to, our, to this church for those of us who are members of this church Okay, if you're a member um, the Bible says that That you should be. If you're trying to follow Jesus, we would expect you to be giving something towards the church, okay? Towards the kingdom of God, towards what He's doing here. And as well as that, as I've introduced the last couple of weeks, there's also the giving that we may give over and above that to this building project. And now, if you are a member of this church, if you're somebody who's one of our somebody who gives regularly here, if you're somebody who's part of one of our teams or our groups or a, a regular active member, then there is an envelope over on that desk there, where Neil is just standing right now. Okay, for you. And as as the service finishes, I'd love you to grab that. It should have your name on it. Um, if you haven't got one there, there are some spare ones on the connect desk for you. And it just has a little bit more information about this building project. It has one of these cards in, one of these response cards, and also um, a, a, a form, a giving form, specifically for this building project. I want to talk today. Oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So, if you're a member of this church then giving is really important. If you're not a member of this church, even, if you're, not, even if, if you're not a Christian, but you're here today, then first of all, you're very, very welcome and we're glad you're here. And secondly, I just hope that this talk that I'm going to give is, is still helpful for you as you think about this area of your life. Um, I want to talk about 10 reasons why we give. 10 reasons why we give. 10 reasons why we give. That's When I say we, I'm talking about Joe and I. Ten reasons why we choose to give our money to this church, to God through this church. Okay? Um, I'm going to look at a number of different Bible verses. I'm not going to focus in on one particular text. I'm going to highlight a number of verses. Some of them are written on the sheet that I've just given you. just want to say one thing before I start though, and that's this. If I share personally from our experience, I do run the risk that you might think that we have this area of our life completely sorted and all together. And we don't. We try very hard. But we are not in any way, I'm not holding us up as experts. The truth is, this is an area we've tried hard to get right in our lives. It's not always been easy. We've struggled in the past. When we came into our marriage together, which is 21 years ago now, yeah, we had different attitudes and approaches to how we handled money. And in some ways we still do, <laughs> to a lesser extent. But we are aware of how important it is to get this right. And we do feel that as leaders of the church, this is some, that we should be setting an example of some kind. And so in the hope that it encourages you, that's why I may share examples from our life today, not in any way to say that we've got this all right and we're the experts. Is that okay? Okay. So 10 reasons why we give. And I'm going to whistle through quite a few of these. And I also ought to say that I'm grateful to a good friend of mine, Andy Chapman from Riverside Vineyard. Much of the content and the... Um, the teaching in this uh, comes from him it's not my own original I agree with it all and I've adapted it but anyway thanks to him number one we give as an act of worship purely and simply as an act of worship Romans twelve chapter 12 and verse 1 says therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship True and proper worship isn't just what we do when we come here on Sunday morning and the band plays some songs for us, brilliant as that is. True and proper worship involves the whole of our lives. It involves a sacrifice of our time and energy and money. And that includes money. So we worship God by giving our money. That's partly why we have an offering each week. In Mark chapter 14 there is a story where a woman, a prostitute we think, comes to Jesus and out of pure love, she gets this really, really, really expensive bottle of perfume and she breaks it and pours it all over Jesus' feet. I think when it says she breaks it, I don't think the glass is going to go everywhere. I hope not anyway. But anyway, the point is that she breaks this, she breaks this uh, perfume, she pours it all over Jesus' feet and the cost of that perfume is something equivalent to a year's wages. Let me say that again. The cost of that sacrifice was something equivalent to a year's wages. That's how much she loved and valued Jesus. Now I want you to just imagine that you've got a year's salary in your hands as you stand before Jesus. A year's wages. What does that look like? What does that come to for you? And I want you to imagine standing before Jesus and offering him that as an act of worship. That's a challenge, isn't it? We give as an act of worship, number one. Number two, we give out of obedience. You see, giving for me is something that I have just always done. I followed Jesus all my life. I was at Sunday school and there was a piggy bank and we came and we brought our pennies and put them in the pig. Sounds a bit wrong now, doesn't it? But that's what we did, okay? As a child in Sunday school, I was taught to give. As a teenager in church, I, was, I gave. As a student, honestly, I drifted a bit in my giving and I drifted in my faith, a little bit. I wonder if the two were connected. When I was a young adult, I worked as a musician. I was on freelance, low income, basically only earning money when I could get a gig but I still did my best to give to God through my local church it's just what I did I've always tried to be obedient I remember one time um, I, would, you know, I would have a number of gigs and uh, some of them would be regular gigs and some of them would be not regular gigs and obviously you'd, you'd earn a certain amount of money for each gig and I remember one time when I got called to say I'd lost one of these gigs and they decided to st- I used to play the piano in a restaurant and stuff at different times and they, they said oh we, we don't need you anymore thanks very much this is stopping I remember thinking oh no what am I going to do and then I remember praying and saying, well, it's okay because I trust God with all of my finances. So I'll keep giving, what I can. I'll keep giving to the Lord. And um, I've never gone hungry yet. I don't think I'll go hungry now. You know? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this guy here, says, And One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. What a great quote. And the truth is that actually I think obeying God in the area of giving is far more achievable than some of the other areas that he asks us to obey obey him in. So this is a quick win. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to love everyone including our enemies. Easy or hard? The Bible says we're supposed to forgive whatever the circumstance. The Bible teaches us to take real care at what we look at and basically to have the same attitude as jesus in everything we do now hands up everyone who can say i've achieved all that because i can't the bible also says that we can give the first 10 percent, or some i'll come to a bit that a bit later on the amounts but the bible says that we should give and be generous with our money the money god gives us now which is more achievable Obeying God on this is easier, I think, than obeying him on some of the other things. That doesn't mean to say it's not challenging. That doesn't mean to say it's not challenging. But we do give out of obedience. Can you read that? Ah, It's terrible. I'm sorry. We need some new stuff in here. Anyway, that's another story. Um, it's, uh, It's written on your sheet as well. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, it says, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. we give because what we do here and now affects eternity where is our heart? is our heart in this world or is it in eternity? any investment we make in this world you see according to that passage will stay in this world when we die my parents are gone now, they didn't take any of their money with them none of their possessions and none of their property The Bible says it won't go with us, it will rot away. But an investment we make in God's kingdom is eternal. So think about this for a minute. Because of the ministry of this church, there will be people in heaven who wouldn't have been there otherwise. So each of us who has been part of investing in this church, who's given generously and cheerfully, Actually, to tell you the truth, even if you've given ungenerously and uncheerfully, it still works. It's just better if you do it the other way around. Those of us who have given to the ministry of this church have been part of an eternal kingdom investment. And there are now people in heaven, and there will be people in heaven, because of our investment. Now you can go to any bank or savings plan or financial investor, and they will not be able to give you that kind of return. There's no return like that. I was chatting to somebody this last week I've got to know this guy and he works in the pensions and investments field and he said this thing to me he said most people's investment decisions are made on a basis of greed or fear something like Brexit happens the market dips and people suddenly go oh my goodness they're living with fear or the ones who aren't living in fear are watching the market and go oh my goodness make a killing get in there Greed or fear. God's values on money don't work with greed or fear. They're about kingdom investment. Investment decisions that reflect God's heart are based on eternity. It's an incredible privilege to give to a local church that directly impacts people's destiny. So anything we give regularly to this church, anything we give to this building project, that's a kingdom investment. You know, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but some of you who are here and many others who aren't here now, including Bob, who we mentioned earlier, gave sacrificially to set this building up so that we could come here and worship God and meet him this morning. You know, about five, six, seven years ago, some of you gave further towards just just very practically the resurfacing of our car park. Well, I've been out here and done at least two car washing events where we have blessed people on that car park. And there are many people who've parked in this car park who've, since, who've then come in here for one reason or another and been impacted by the power of the presence of God and met him. See, I don't want to live with regret at the end of my life wishing I'd invested more of my money in God's kingdom. So we give because what we do here and now affects eternity. Are you with me so far? Not going too fast? Good, good. Number four, we give to reflect God's nature. You see, God is a giver. The evidence is all around us. You only have to look in creation to see that God is a giver. His giving is demonstrated throughout. But his giving nature is demonstrated particularly supremely in Jesus. That's our whole story. That's our whole raison d'etre, our whole reason for doing what we do. Is because of Jesus. And there's a very famous verse in John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Let me say that again He loved the world that He gave, His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God is the ultimate giver. His generosity and His sacrifice on our behalf is beyond measure we could stop and reflect on just that all morning. I want my life to be a growing reflection of God's giving nature. I'm meant to be copying him. I'm meant to be following and pursuing after him. He's a giver. I want to be a giver. Now I try very hard to be like that with my kids. For ages I've been thinking what I really should be doing is teaching them proper budgeting and finances and all of that stuff. And, And I do buy that. I do believe in that. But I also just want to be the most generous representation of a father that I can be for them. So if my kid wants something and it's reasonable and realistic and I can afford it or, or help, I want to be able to do that because I want to be a giver. Do you get me? Because I want to be more like God and he's a giver. He's a giver. So we give because we want to reflect God. He's the giver. We also give because it, what we do affects what other people do see Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says a man reaps what he sows we're over the page now what we sow in this life we will reap people say I sometimes talk to people not very often but I sometimes talk to them and they say they're not believers and they say oh well that God of yours why does he let this that and the other happen why does he let all these tragedies happen? And I, I try—you know—it's a difficult conversation. But my fundamental answer is: I don't. I, I think it upsets him just as much as it upsets us. The trouble is, we reap what we sow. In this world, we reap what we sow—in a good way and in a bad way. So, parents, if you if, if you've got kids, you'll know this is true. Your behaviour and language, good and bad around your house is probably copied by your kids, right? You say something rude, they'll probably repeat it back at some point. You say something positive, you might find them repeating it positive as well. If you act in a certain way, then so will they. So I prioritize to give my money and I trust that my kids will do the same and I teach them and try and help them to do the same. We've tried to model this to our kids throughout their lives. We've tried to teach them it. We've given them, we tell giving stories about times when we have given and God has blessed us in return, about times when we've been able to give to others out of the generosity of God to us, and about how times when we've had nothing and God has given, chosen to give to us. In church, I would expect our pastoral staff and our leaders to be giving. It usually happens automatically by direct debit or by bank transfer, so it's, it's fairly unseen in terms of a Sunday, but in fact, it's on our job description for any leader's that the, character and the expectation of character that we'd have for anybody who's part of leading this church is that they would be regular givers. Because what we do as leaders affects what everyone else does. So we give because what we do affects what others do. We also give because we want to be servants of God and not servants of money. You may have heard this verse before, it's in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Yes, it's on your sheet. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or you'll devote devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says you just can't serve both God and money. Now money is a really powerful idol. Or rather, what money can buy, what money can give, what money can do. And the truth is, it's probably after the affection of my heart and possibly yours. It's quite easy to sit there and think, what can I do if I had this much money? What could I do if I had this much money? How would that improve my life? How would that make life more comfortable, easier, better, nicer? The truth is, I just want to serve Jesus. Only him. And so I have to make a choice. I can't serve Jesus and something else we all have to make that choice actually do we want to serve Jesus or do we want to serve money can't do both and so that's a reason that we give because we just decided well look we are serving Jesus and we're going to to put our money where our mouth is quite literally you know that someone's really serious when they start writing out cheques we don't write cheques anymore do we and they start taking their wallet out that's how we show him that we serve him So we're doing really well. You might be thinking, God, he's got to six already. This is a quick talk. I'm going to spend a little more time on the next one. We give to position ourselves for God's provision and protection. And there's a quote there from Anne Frank. No one has ever become poor by giving, which is an interesting quote. I think if I was quoting that, I'd probably put the poor in quotation marks, just because it will be easier to understand. I'll explain why in a minute. But I want to read from the book of Malachi. And again, I think that the verses are on your sheet. This is from Malachi uh, chapter three. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's a a prophetic book. And um, I'll just give you a bit of the background. It's fairly blunt. God is speaking here to his people. And the, the section is called robbing God. He says... You have been robbing me. You haven't quite been giving the full amount that I would expect you to give. That's the background to this. Let's read it. Just two, two verses. Malachi three, ten. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not even be room to store it i'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe says the lord almighty now the best way to interpret that word storehouse is not what we think of a storehouse here in Winchester vineyard i mean we get this name from that but, but when he's talking about storehouse here he's not talking about our clothing project The best way to interpret that through New Testament eyes is the local church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now what's that all about? What does that mean? God says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and you can test me in this. You can test me in this. You see elsewhere in the Bible there are clear instructions not to test God. If you remember there's a passage when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness And the devil says to him, throw yourself off that building, that high high cliff, and uh, ask your angels and they'll catch you. And Jesus says, hang on, it says don't put the Lord your God to the test. But in this verse, God is very clear. He says, you can test me in this. You can test me in this. If you give me the whole tithe, everything that's due me, then I will bless you. If you want to be blessed, be a giver. Let me make an important health warning. God does not promise that that blessing will be financial. It may well be, but he does not promise that. We are not into the prosperity gospel here. Okay? That isn't what I'm talking about. But he does promise that if we give him what he asks for, then we will be subject to his blessing, his provision, and his protection as we give. In the Old Testament, they had a very clear custom, and it was called tithing. And that tithing literally means 10%. And practically, it wasn't, they actually weren't talking about money in the first place. They were talking about the crops or the harvest of the land. And how it would go is that you, if you were responsible for for gathering a harvest in, what you'd do is you would take, you would harvest the first 10% of your anticipated crop. And then you would bring that to the Lord as your offering. And you would do that before you'd even harvested the rest. So you'd bring the fruit or the grain or whatever it is, you'd bring it to the Lord. And you wouldn't know at that point what the rest of your harvest was going to be like. You wouldn't know if you were going to get the whole of the 90% or not I mean you might have an idea but you're not absolutely sure but you choose anyway out of provision out of of obedience to God for his provision you choose anyway to just this is it this is the law this is the rule I take the 10% I give it to God I say thank you for everything you've given me and then I go back and trust that we're going to manage on the rest of the 90 that's how it worked in the Old Testament that's how it worked with tithing they didn't know what kind of a harvest they were going to get, but they chose to give the first 10% anyway. Let's think about a, perhaps a more up-to-date version of this. Okay? Let's imagine... Oh, that's, the, that's the verse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room for it. Let's imagine we've got two Christian friends. Okay? Uh, let's call them Tom and Fred. Okay? Tom says, I have to get from A to B financially. What I mean by that is, I've got my bills to pay, I've got this to sort out, I've got my family, the mortgage, blah, 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 blah. okay, I am going to need, in order for me to get through this year or this season from A to B, I am going to need 100% of the money that I know is coming in, okay, I have done my sums, I have done my calculations, it isn't possible to do it any other way, I need that 100%, so that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to get from A to B using the 100%, that's Tom, no reference, by the way, to anybody called Tom here. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> okay. Um, Fred, on the other hand, has read his Bible. So Tom says, I need the 100%. Fred has read his Bible, and he said, I need to get from A to B as well. I have bills to pay. I have my family to sort out, stuff to do. But I have read my Bible, and I believe that God can get me from A to B on 90%. Okay. So therefore, because I believe that, I will give ten percent of what I earn. I will give it to God. I believe that that's the right thing to do, and I also believe that as a reward, God will not just take me from A to B, but it'll actually take me further. Because the Bible says, "If you, if you do this, I will bless you, and I will pour out blessings that they overflow." So God is interested in blessing us beyond the point where we think we need to get to. Do you understand? He says, I believe that the Bible says that God will pour out blessings and I'm going to take God up on that offer. So therefore I'll give him the 10%, I'll trust that we get to the 90 and I'll wait and see what blessings come my way. Now Fred doesn't know exactly what that journey from B to C is going to look like. But he does know that it's going to be far more exciting than if he just stopped the journey at B. Are you with me so far? Possibility C, or position C, isn't even on Tom's radar. He doesn't even think about that. For Joe and I, and for many others of you, we have chosen to live like Fred. And we have so many stories Examples of how God has blessed us and protected us and provided for us as we have made that bit of the journey. Put your hands up if you know what I'm talking about and you can relate to what I'm saying. Fantastic. Phew, it isn't just me. Here's an observation. Both Tom and Fred think that the other guy is an idiot. Tom says to Fred, your 90% plan is total folly. It's foolish. It can't be done. I've done the sums, it just doesn't work. Fred says, hopefully with a bit more grace, the most you're ever going to achieve is to get from A to B. You will never get to experience what it is from B to C. You will never get to experience God's supernatural activity in your financial life. You're going to miss the most exciting part of the journey. And the question is, which kind of idiot do we want to be? Do we want to be the kind that stops there or do we want to be the kind that experiences the whole, the whole blessing, the whole journey? Do we want to be the kind of people that experience the overflow of blessing of God as we give back to him? Now I told you, we've lived here. Joe and I, uh, a long time ago, didn't have very much money and our washing machine broke. Now, as I said to you before, we we were faithfully just giving our money to to, to God. We paid our 10% to the church. We also gave some money to other people. We tried hard to be generous with what we had. And one day our washing machine broke. We had small kids. We had washable nappies, I think. And uh, we sat there going, oh my goodness, how's this going to work? And literally within a day or two of just turning to God and saying, help, we don't know what to do here. Um, Completely out of the blue, some people we knew, we didn't even know them that well. They just showed up one day and they said, "Hey, we've got some money and we want to give it to you." We said, "What? <laughs> How?" And they said, "Well," and they said, "Well, you know, um, my grandma died and she gave us a bit of money and we we felt like we should give some of it away." So we prayed and we asked God and he said to give you five hundred pounds. And we went, "Wow, this thing really works." <laughs> now it hasn't always been about money. You know, there was one time where um, our, our son. Was, it was very small at the time, really, we was really into Bob the Builder and it was his birthday coming up. And we really wanted some Bob the Builder toys. And Joe was just wandering past the charity shop actually and found just a whole basket of really nice Bob the Builder stuff. Lovely stuff. Nice and clean and all that. And she went in and said, how much for all that? And they said, oh, a pound, pound, a pound for each of the, the toys. Oh, it, it's just come in. It's just been put out. It's important to remember that we live in the light of Jesus, we don't live under law. We're not under the law of the Old Testament that says you have to do this. We live under the grace of the New Testament. But I have personally found that the idea of giving 10% or a tenth is a really helpful yardstick by which to start measuring my generosity and my giving. 10%. For some of us, we hear that 10% and we think there is not a chance that I could get anywhere near to giving 10% of what I get. And there are others of us who think we probably could go a lot further than that. I said before about this giving project and about giving in general, it isn't about the amounts, it's about the obedience and the sacrifice. There are some people who will probably give us 10 or 20 pounds towards this project and God will be just as blessed as those who can give 10 and 20,000. And that's okay. I simply want to challenge us to take God seriously in this area and to reach out to him and take a step of faith because the Bible says that if we do that, he promises to protect us, he promises to provide for us. And the truth is, it's all his money anyway. It's all God's money anyway. We're simply giving back what belongs to him you know, if, you wanted to be quite, if I wanted to be quite manipulative, which I don't, I could say, how much of God's money are you going to give back to him? But that, that's, that is the sense that we get from the Bible. I'm not going to be manipulative. I'm going to let you ask God that question. You know, I did say that if I shared this stuff personally, you might think we got it all sorted and we haven't. Also, sharing personally, I'm aware, might cost me some of my treasure in heaven if I tell you things about how we give but I'll, I'll, I do it carefully but I will do it because I want to help you we're not sorted in this area but we are growing and learning um, for a number of years we struggled as I said but I can't think of a month when we didn't pay our tithe to the church and on top of that we've sought to be as generous as possible I remember many years ago we bumped into a charity a little bit like Caris Kids does now that was helping um, children in another country and we listened to this man tell his story, and we both went up to him in tears, because we were so moved by what God was doing. And we've been giving a certain amount of money month to that charity, a certain amount of money a month to that charity every year since then, which is gosh 17, 18 years, something like that. It's not very much, but over the years it adds up. You know, uh, We've given money to people and projects as the Lord prompted us. We received an incredible inheritance from our family. And the first thing that we did, actually that's not true, it wasn't the first thing we did, it was the first thing Joe told me to do, and about the, th- and about the third thing I actually did was to, was to give 10% of that money straight to the church. Why would I not do that? And then some more of it to different people and projects as we felt God inviting us to invest. There is a cost, but I'm trusting God to look after us. And we are committed to leading a generous church and we're committed to leading it by example the best we can. That was number seven. I've got three more points. We give because it feels great to give. Acts chapter 20 verse 35, Paul recalls the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And as I've got older, I am far less bothered by what people give me for Christmas or for my birthday, for example. People say, my kids and family say, what do you want? I just say, just a day off would be great, thank you. <laughs> but it is a real pleasure to see other people receiving gifts, isn't it? We have, we have a few sort of family videos in our family, um, you know, that we took when the kids were small and we watch occasionally. And there's one of uh, our daughter Becky when she was about four, maybe four or five, and it was her first proper bike. And, uh, and it was up at Joe's parents' house, and so they did this whole sort of trail thing. She had to follow that this piece of uh, string around the house, and, and there was the bike, and it had a big blanket over it. And we took the blanket off, and, and all I remember is on the video she goes, "My new bike!" <laughs> and, uh, and she's absolutely made up and thrilled by it, and jumps on it straight away and starts riding around the garden. And Joe's dad shouts, "Mind the flowers!" and all of this. And we've watched it loads of times. It's just doesn't it feel just great to be a giver? Isn't it? You know, there are very clever people who have studied the impact of giving on our well-being. And they have concluded genuinely that people who give, people who give regularly, this isn't, we're not talking about Christians or churchgoers particularly, we're just talking about people who give, are less stressed, have better mental health, better friendships, happier marriages, and live longer. So giving is good for your health. It's great to give. We give simply because we said we would. Ecclesiastes 5, chapter 5 verse 4 says, when you make a vow to God do not delay to fulfil it. He has no pleasure in fools, fulfil your vow. It's better not to make it than to have made it and not fulfilled it. And so as our income has changed so our giving has changed. We want our practice to match our intention. As our salaries have gone up we've tried to increase our giving because we said we would and I want to be the kind of person that does what I said I would do and lastly, number 10 we give because we love the vision of this church we absolutely love what God has called us to do together we love how communities are impacted one person at a time we love that this church shows practical compassion to those in need just like Jenny was talking about earlier so we love what our money is able to do And as I said, if you're part of this church, then you'll already know that we've launched this building project two weeks ago. That this project is all about bringing hope and life as a welcoming community. Bringing hope and life to the next generation, to children and young people. Bringing hope and life through compassion and storehouse and all that we do. And bringing hope and life to the worship life of our church. And as I said to you, there are some letters on the table in the cafe there. And if you are a regular member of this church, and do go and um, grab one of those letters. And inside it, you will find a letter from Joe and I and some more information. You'll find one of these giving cards, these response cards. And what we're doing is we're asking everybody to take these away, to pray, to ask God how you should get involved. And then in two weeks' time, two weeks today, on Sunday, the 9th of October, to bring them back. And we'll collect them up. Okay, and there's all sorts of information in there about how you can give and practically whether you give now or later or in a standing order over, over the next few years. There's also a particular special building giving leaflet. We have a regular giving leaflet, which I don't have here. Imagine I do. And we have a building giving leaflet, and they're quite similar except one's got a picture of the building on front. But again, I would love you to take that and love you just to pray and to read and to think and ask God, and, and that's how you actually physically do it. You fill in a standing order or you fill in debit card donation or there are other ways to do it you grab an envelope and bring about all the information is there please do grab one of those and as I said before this is we are not twisting anybody's arm and we are not manipulating anybody here I'm simply offering this before you as a vision that we think God has asked us to do and if you think that God has asked you to be part of that then just pray take him seriously ask him what he says and then do what he says that would be great just to finish then in the words of my friend Brian over here we are not raising funds we are lowering them the funds for this project and everything that we need to do here God has it all in hand he is as I've already said supremely generous and all of the provision that we need both personally and as a church is available and let me say this as well I'm not doing this because I'm trying to address some deep seated problem we've got in the church. You are a wonderfully generous church. You give so much of your time and energy and money. So much goes towards compassion. So much goes towards community. And we're, we're incredibly blessed and grateful just to, to lead you in that. But just the encouragement of today is to press on and excel in this area, in generosity and in giving. Why don't we start?